And how many love the city of Auckland? Yeah, we've got many people from many different places, but I believe you've got to love the place where you are. And this is a great city. And how many know God wants to do great things in this city? And uh, as a church, we've got a mission to change the world. But we don't want to do that at the expense of the, our relationships. Because in the kingdom, what we've got to understand is our authority to reach the world actually comes from what's going on at home. And, and our home is really important to, to have strength in home if we're going to change the world around us. And, and that's the reason why we're doing this series, Relationship Goals, because we want to strengthen the relationships in the church. Now, this applies to you whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you come from a broken relationship, whether you're looking for a relationship, wherever you're at, how many know relationships are part of life? And we've got to have goals around our relationships. You know, it's so important that we, we catch God's vision for relationships. You know, many people, you know, look at the world and they watch TV and they watch romantic comedies and, and they really catch the world's idea for relationships. But it's so important that we build our lives around God's relational vision for our lives rather than the world's. Because how many know the world promises a lot but delivers on very little? And this morning, I really want to talk about, you know, how we need to first look at ourselves before we look at our relationships. Now, how many ever stepped into a lift and uh, the doors have opened and somebody was checking themselves out in the mirror? Yeah, it's a little bit of an awkward thing to happen. You know, maybe you're the person in the lift checking yourself out. In fact, today, many selfies are taken in lifts. Why? Because there's mirrors and lifts. And, uh, you know, people think, well, it's a good private place to check yourself out. Well, here, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to check ourselves out. Because uh, it's really important to check yourself out before you check relationships out. You know, relationships don't work when you're always trying to change the other person. You know, because I've found that people love to be loved, not fixed. And, and a lot of people go into relationships going, oh, they're all good, they're good there, but I'll just work, if I could work on that on them, you know, my relationship would be sorted. But how many know maybe it's not them that's the problem? Because your, your relationships will never be more healthier than you. The truth is, you know, the healthier you are, the healthier your relationships will be. And your relationships will ne never get better than you because you're in them. See, see, people don't tend to have relationship problems. They have problems that they bring into relationships. And, and the better you are, the fewer problems you have. And, you know, it's true of your partner. Now, the question I want to start off by asking this morning is, who in your world meets your deepest needs? Who in your world meets your deepest need? Uh, who on a daily basis do you rely on the most? Who, who and what do you go to to have your needs met? Before you answer that, I'm not just talking about you know, physical needs. I'm talking about your deep needs. You know, see, all of us can have different desires and preferences that are important to us. In fact, many of us, you know, have, have found out our love languages. How many have discovered their love language? How they like to be loved. Isn't it interesting that we often give love in the way that we like to receive it? You know, and, and all of us are different in that regard. But when it comes to certain needs, there, there's certain needs that are common to all of us. 
And, and these common needs are our, our deepest needs. Now, I'm not talking about physical needs like food, oxygen, and sleep. You know, rather, oh, I'm talking about needs that transcend the physical and, and the needs that revolve around our hearts. Uh, these cravings are just as real or if not more real than our appetite for food. And I quickly just want to unpack what are our four basic needs. In fact, they're going to come up on screen. Our four basic needs as humans is we have a need, number one, for acceptance. Knowing that we are loved and needed by others. There's this need for acceptance. There's this need, secondly, for identity. Knowing that you are significant and you're special. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're special. In a good way, just in case that need was unmet this morning. You are special. Yeah, and we have this need for identity. The, the third need that we have is we have a need for security, knowing that we are protected and provided for, which is important. And our fourth need is we have, we have a need for purpose, knowing that you have a reason for living. You know, all of us have these needs. If you're sitting there and go, well, I don't know if I need that. Well, you're lying. Because you do. And, and all of us are driven in a significant way to, to, to satisfy these needs at some level. And we've got to own it. They're, they're needs, they're not wants. So, so who meets your deepest needs? Uh, from whom do you seek first and most to fulfill that need for acceptance, the need for identity, the need for security, and the need for purpose? Uh, the fact is, most people will struggle to give up an honest answer to this. See, if, you, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you, you probably know the answer. Well, well, I see God first. And I'll go, really, do you? Re really, do you really see God first? Because the problems we face and the issues we have and the expectations of, on others that we maintain says we don't. See, most people don't come to Jesus to get their deepest needs met. So when we don't go to Jesus, where do we go? We actually go to others. We go to other relationships, whether it be a spouse, a friend, a parent, or even the church. And what we do is we put these expectations on people that are just as messed up as us to fulfill our need. How, how crazy is that? You know, if I have the title for my message this morning, the title of my message is, I'm not God, and you aren't either. I'm not God, and you aren't either. If you got your Bible, let's go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. This is Jesus speaking, and it says, On the last day, the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, so he wanted everybody to hear this, in a loud voice, he said, Let anyone who is thirsty, I mean, no, there's a lot of thirsty people in the world right now, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Just quickly in John 6 verse 35, it says, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go, go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be Thirsty. At first, you may read these passages and you go, What the heck does this have to do with relationships? Well, here's the problem when people begin to date and fall in love, they get a little bit psychotic. Have you, you seen that before? 
you know, anybody get a little bit psychotic? In fact, the definition of being psychotic is people who are removed from reality. You know, how many have ever been in love so much that you're removed from reality? You know, and what your brain does, it dupes you into thinking that the person that you're dating is perfect. That person you're dating is ideal and they're the answer to all of your problems. And they're gonna make you happy. And then what happens is your brain gets tired and says, I'm tired, and you have no chemicals left and things wear off. And then you find yourself, yourself you're left with a real person who's just as messed up and as needy as you are. And the Scriptures, you know, this is important because the Scriptures tell us, hey, when it comes to our need, there's only a thing that, there's only a, a need, some needs that God can satisfy. But the reason we get messed up is as simple as most people never come to Jesus to get their deepest needs met. Now, now, these are needs, not wants. And, and when we don't get those needs met by Jesus, we then look to other people to meet those needs. And what we end up doing is we end up putting God-type pressure on human relationships. I don't know about you, but I can't live up to that. In fact, one of, one of the things that Kathy and I clarified early in our relationships is that we would love God more than we loved each other. This year we'll be married 24 years. Woo, yeah. We haven't got it all figured out, but I know that's built a whole lot of security in our relationship. Because when things go wrong, you know, there has to be a confidence that that person is going to go to God. Because there's some things as a husband and, and Kathy as a wife can't, she can't do it for me and I can't do it for her. It's only God who can fulfill that space. And if I don't have a connection with God, I'm going to be looking to her to meet those needs. Oh, I'm gonna be looking to even others to meet those needs. And that's why right at the start we said, hey, we're gonna love Jesus. We're gonna go after Jesus and love Him more than we're gonna love one another. And it's really good when things go wrong, when you have a bit of an argument, you know, you can go away confident that they're not gonna do something dumb. How many, how many know you and I are one decision away from stupid? You know, come on, you may, may have been married, you know, for a week or, or 20 years, but it only takes one decision to be stupid. And, and having the confidence that somebody has enough of the Holy Spirit in them that they're not going to go away and do something stupid is securing in a relationship. You know, when we have an argument, you know, she's going to go and hear God and God's going to tell her that I'm right. <laughs> How many know that is not the truth? <laughs> You know, but, but, but we're going to come to God and, 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 you know, God's going to say, come on, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself. And, you know, and then there's going to be a meeting together. But without that, 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 that confidence that the other is having their deepest needs met by God, that there's no security. See, see, those needs by nature are there and are designed to draw you closer to Jesus. Yeah, it's amazing when people are single, you know, they'll press into God and, and then, then they get married and they think, well, I can rely on that person now. You're stupid. No, no human being or anything on earth can satisfy those needs but Jesus. And unfortunately, we try and satisfy them another way, like getting married and expecting our partner to do what Jesus can do for us. Or, or you know, even it goes further. As we can even look, 
you know, it can be from our parents. We, we look to our parents. You know, all goes wrong in our marriage. We go back to our parents. Come on, for some of us, it's time to cut the umbilical cord. Some people even take it further. Some people have children thinking that, well, if I have a child, they'll love me. And, and, and then others, you know, take it into the, the world and they go from job to job, place to place, trying to satisfy these needs. Satisfy this thirst that can't be satisfied apart from Jesus. No human being can meet your deepest need. And we put too much hope in a person. People are going to let you down. But here's the news. I'm not God and neither are you. I can encourage you. I can support you. I can love you, but I can't be God for you. I can point you to God. I can show you how I connect with God. I can introduce you to God, but I'm not God. Many people get disillusioned with marriage because they enter it with the wrong expectations. They expect other people to meet their deepest need. But here's the deal. When you don't allow God to meet your deepest need, you automatically transfer that expectation for fulfillment onto something else or someone else. And that expectation is too heavy for a person. See, when you you do this, you'll always be disappointed with the results. No matter how things go. But not only that, you'll lack the inner resources you need to love others. Because why? You're not connected to God yourself. And we only can love others effectively if we're tapped into the source ourselves. You almost live in a place where you're hurt and offended and, and you know, you're even reduced relationships down to a minimal level. And you think, well, you know, marriage doesn't work. You even begin to question and say, God's way doesn't work. Yeah, God's way doesn't work when you're not plugged into God. And the Bible is clear. If we fall into the trap of trusting anyone or anything other than God to satisfy, the outcomes, these are the outcomes. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26 says. Those who trust in themselves, numb. What are they? They are fools. Oh, I don't know why I put a pity the fool. I don't know. I was thinking of the (laughs) eighteen. They got up there (laughs) in the notes. It must be. I I do. I do pity the fool. Well, God does anyway. (laughs) Some of you don't even know what the eighteen is. Okay, Jeremiah seventeen verse five. It says, "This is what the Lord says: Cursed is the one who trusts in man." Cursed is the one who trusts a man, who draw, draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Proverbs 11 verse 28 says, those who trust in riches will fall. Well, it will fall. It's just a matter of time. You will fall. Proverbs 23 verse 4 to 5, it says, don't, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and and they're gone. For surely they sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Come on, how many have ever seen that before? It's like, oh, I thought I had some money, but they just, it just flew away. Come on, it's just gone. You can't put your trust and your security in that. Now, now, compare those warnings to those who trust in God. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the... And you trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They'll be like a tree planted by water that that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. 
His leaves are always green and, and it never worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Psalm 125 verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Proverbs 28 verse 25, it says the greedy stir up conflict. Oh, maybe that's a reason for some of the conflict in our home. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. See, there's a difference between trusting in God and trusting in people to meet our, our deepest needs. And the differences are huge. See, today, if you transfer those expectations to Jesus, you will not be disappointed. Because He wants to meet your needs. And He wants to meet them more than you want them met. There's no detail in your life that He doesn't know. And here's the deal. For the sake of others. Trust God, not just for yourself, but for the sake of others, trust God. Now I'm about to take you to a passage that needs to be understood when it comes to marriage and relationship because relationships, because there's four principles in two verses that contain God's will for marriage. And uh, you break one of these, you, you do yourself serious damage. So, so we're going to unpack that. You know, how many know God's will for marriage? Well, marriage is a covenant. We live right now in a consumer world. And the problem is we take our consumerism and we apply it to our relationships. But covenant is so much bigger and broader than just a contract. You know, see, in a contract, you know, a contract, by the way, is there because there's a mutual distrust. You know, it's like, well, I don't trust that the other person is going to come good on what they said they would. And so we need a contract where marriage is a covenant that's not built on mutual, uh, mutual distrust, it's built on love. And, and a covenant is what marriage is, is meant to be. It's a, it's a covenant between one another. See, uh, when you're a consumer, you relate to a vendor based on them meeting your needs. And the moment they don't meet your needs, what you do is you go and look for an upgrade. You go and look for another vendor. And that's how many people approach relationships. You know, they get into a relationship, they, they, they even get married. And, and today, when somebody doesn't meet you know, their end of the bargain, so to speak, they go, well, I'm up, I'm out of here, and I'm, I'm going to find somebody else. But, but a covenant is different. So, so, so a contract, a consumer relationship, you know, my needs means my needs are more important than the relationship. But covenant is different. Covenant is where you say, hey, the relationship is more important than my needs. The relationship is more important than my needs. And God's designed this right, right back in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verse, verse 24, it says, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. These words are so important that Jesus and Paul he actually quote them in the New Testament. 
So, so they outline God's plan for this. And, and, and in the, these two verses, there's four principles of marriage. And the first principle is the principle of priority. The principle of priority. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. That's what it says, verse 24. What is God saying? God is saying that the relationship between a husband and wife is more important than any other human relationship. Yeah, so God tells the man to, what, leave his parents. So, so he no longer can be a mama's boy and still be married. He needs to leave in order to cleave. You know, a, a lot of pro- problem in a lot of places is people get married, but they're still attached to their parents. You know, don't worry, uh, leave does not mean abandon. It does not mean dishonor or abuse one parents. You know, if you want a long life, the Bible instructs us to honor our parents. But, but the word leave in this verse is from the Hebrew word ezab, which means to loosen or to relinquish. It means to loosen or relinquish. That, that means the highest position of commitment and devotion may have been with the parents, family, but that now transfers to the wife. Uh, This means your spouse comes first, not your family. Come on, you you got to hear me because this is uh, uh, this brings a lot of problems in relationships where the family is still of the utmost importance, and they haven't left their mother and their father. You know, in fact, in today's society, you know, many people are still living with their parents. Now, a lot of people do it because of, you know, they're saving money and different things. But I, but I really believe it brings a lot of confusion. There's a point where you've got to move out of home. And you, you've got to say, my relationship with my wife or with my husband is more important sometimes than the money I'm saving. This is the most important relationship in my world. Everybody's gone real quiet there. Yeah. This means your spouse comes first. To, to put it simply, God designed marriage to operate as the second most priority in life. He's my number one, but the second is my wife. A, a lot of relationships fail because of misplaced priorities. To help you understand this, you need to understand according to Scripture that you can have legitimate jealousy. You can have legitimate jealousy. Did you know there's a righteous jealousy, a legitimate form of jealousy? See, if you're walking down the street and and somebody was to hit on your spouse and your spouse began to respond, how would you feel? You'd get angry and it'd be filled by what? Jealousy. How many know that's legit? You wouldn't go, oh, they're just having some harmless fun. You know, a little bit of flirting, never hurt anybody. Is that? No. You know, it'd be the same emotional response if somebody tried to kidnap your child or, or they try to steal your car. Le- legitimate jealousy is emotion that causes you to protect and identify what's yours. Bad jealousy is trying to get from someone else something that is not rightfully ours. Or it's trying to do it in a dishonest manner. Legitimate jealousy is protecting what's rightfully yours. Listen to what God commanded Israel through Moses. This is what God said. He said, do not worship. Exodus 34 verse 14. Do not worship any other God for the Lord. 
whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. God's name is jealous. This means that there's a jealousy that's not bad. And here's how it works. God, God created us to love him before anything and anyone else. And he becomes jealous when that relationship is threatened. Marriage is an analogy used right throughout the Bible of the relationship he wants, God wants between him and his people. You know, we're called the bride of Christ. And when we turn from that and we follow other things, he's provoked to legitimate jealousy. You know, in the Bible, you know, there was idolatry. And idolatry is simply when you take a good thing and you make it the ultimate thing. Some of you go, ah, I'm not into idolatry. I don't have any idols. I don't have any statues, Buddhas that I bow down to. But could it be that in our life we do actually have idols? Because we can take a good thing like work and we can take a good thing like sport and we can take a good thing like cars and, 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 and we can take a good thing and we can make it the ultimate thing. We can put it before God and put it before our spouse. That, that's why God in, in the Old Testament compared Israel's turning away from him to adultery. Saying, hey, you're cheating on me. And one thing that's certain is you and I at some point in our life are going to feel legitimate jealousy because wrong priorities cause us a lot of pain. And that's whether somebody in a relationship is just prioritizing work, their careers, over their spouse. You know, some, for some it's the children. The children are the most important things. Yeah, the most important thing a parent can do for their children is actually love one another. Children are more important than almost anything in our lives, people say. However, they're not as important as God in our marriages. You know, I love my parents just growing up. You know, hey, you know, we love one another more than we love you kids. They made it very clear. <laughs> made it very clear. But, but, but that was great. They built a whole lot of security. And, and, and us kids, because we knew mom and dad loved one another. That's a healthy thing. And when we sacrifice God or marriage for the sake of our, our children, how many know we don't do our children any favors? You know, couples who sacrifice God, the church, for a long time. Oh, we just need a long time. We need family time so we won't come to church. You're dumb. It's stupid because coming to church will make you a better husband, a better parent, a better person to be around. You know, sacrifice sport, sacrifice work, sacrifice other things like that. Don't sacrifice church in the house of God. So if you're going to sacrifice, sacrifice something else for alone time and family time. Don't treat church as optional. Because even just by coming into this place, I pray, you know, even today, your relationships are being strengthened. Come on, I pray we all go out of this place, you know, being better spouses, being better, better in our relationships with one another. See, when you prioritize God, you prioritize your spouse. Because how many know each and every one of us by nature are selfish? And I found God, when, when I prioritize God, God identifies and pinpoints 
my selfishness. I don't need my wife to point it out. God points it out. And because I'm listening to him, he makes me a better husband and a better parent. See, when you prioritize God, you prioritize your spouse. You got to hear that. That's why, you know, church is so important. And then prioritizing your spouse, what you're doing is you're prioritizing your children. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you obey my commands. Okay, that's the first principle. Second principle is the principle of pursuit. The principle of pursuit. And the verse says, And is united to his wife, or will cleave to his wife. Now, that word cleave is not like a meat cleaver, it doesn't mean to cut or separate, it actually means to pursue. With great energy. That's what it means. To pursue with great energy or zealously. And, and God told man to cleave to his wife. He, what he was telling him was to jealously or zealously pursue her. To do it energetically. To cling to her. Here, here's the deal. The secret to staying in love. You want to know the secret to staying in love? Here's the secret to staying in love. It's work. You need to work at your marriage. For your marriage to work. See, one of, the most, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions is if I marry the right person, I shouldn't have to work at the relationship to stay in love. It should just happen automatically. You're brought into a lie right there. Because love is more than a feeling. You know, uh, love is a behavior. We're called to behave in love. And feelings come and go. And you've got to work it. It doesn't matter whether you've been married, you know, 30, 40 years. You've still got to work at your relationship. Things can slide. See, see, Hollywood is where a lot of people get their definition of love and relationships. It's really sad today. You know, Hollywood, the place that's ravaged with infidelity, divorce, and relationship breakouts. How many know it has no authority to speak on the subject? Yet it's trying to define love and how love is displayed in the world, the world around us. But it actually has no authority. Here's the deal when it comes to love and anything that's meaningful, you've got to work at it. What happens when you get to a place where, where, where you've lost that love? You've lost that loving feeling. God has a three-step plan to renew your love. A three-step plan. He gave it to the church in Ephesus. They had lost their first love. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, this is what, what God says to them. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. He says, consider how far you've fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. Now, I, I believe this principle applies with God, but it also applies with you and I in our, in our marriages and our relationships. The three-step plan gave to the church in Ephesus to renew their love. Number one is consider how far you've fallen. How many know as new Christians you're willing to do anything to serve Jesus? Because you understand what he's done for you. You know, it's like, oh man. However, as time goes on, what happens is things compete for our attention and, and it's almost like the relationship cools off and many people say, well, that's just natural. Well, Jesus called it the sin of losing your first love. So she, consider how far you've fallen. 
How far have you gone away from my, my original plan? See, love is something you do before it's something that you feel. And he said, what you need to do, the second thing, is you need to repent. If you lost your first love, don't just keep on going in that direction. You need to change direction. You need to change the way you think about this. He didn't say, hey, man, you better work up some deep feelings of love. No, no, you need to repent. You need to change it. And then the third thing he said, do the deeds you did at first. Now, notice in this, Jesus requires no emotion of us. He, he, he said, simply act the way you did when your relationship was young. Invest the time, invest the energy, regardless how, how you feel, because feelings will follow. Come on, there, there's some people in this place, you've lost their love, even when, when it comes to God. It's like coming to church, you know, reading your Bible, it's all duty. And we need to consider how far we're falling. And we need to consider, you know, what's become a distraction to us and where we're looking to other things to meet our needs rather than God. And it's important that we, we repent and we go back to what we did at first. Three steps. That will help us renew love. See, you know, if we do that, we'll build a strong relationship. Now, the two. You know, I like Proverbs 14, verse 23. It says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. Some of us, you know, we, we talk about things, but we don't act on it. And love is a verb. Love is a doing word. And we, we've got to do something about it. For the sake of time, I'm just going to quickly touch on the, 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 the third and the fourth principle. The third principle is the principle of possession. The two became one. The two, we, we don't, it's not his and hers, it's ours. And we, there's a separation you know, a lot of things go askew. It's, it's together. The third principle, uh, fourth principle is the principle of purity. The man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame. Principle of, of purity. Now, now, what you've got to understand in today's world, uh, many people sell sex. And many people now view sex as a consumer good. But sex is not a consumer good, it's a covenant good. See, see a, a consumer good is how you keep somebody in a relationship. You know, I have needs. It's a way, a way I feel good about myself and we go out and we find somebody who will meet that need. But, but sex is designed to be a covenant good. And, and here's what it means when you make that promise. You know, it's like sex is like the sacrament. A sacrament is like communion. A sacrament is an external symbol of an invisible reality. And, and when I make myself physically naked, it's a sign that uh, it's a sign of what I've done with my whole life. I haven't just done it with one aspect. Uh, that's why sex outside of marriage lacks integrity, because you're asking somebody to do something physically that you're not prepared to do with your life. Yeah, it's like physical disclosure, but not whole life vulnerability. And, and to have a physical union without whole, a whole life union, it lacks integrity. 
and that's why many people, you know, are sleeping from place to place and place. You know, it's like I've got a piece of gaffer tape here. In fact, it's holding down this, this cord and I'll try and get it unstuck. But, you know, if you go around and sleep with a whole lot of people, you know, it's like you're attaching yourself to that person and you do it over here. It's sticky now, but you keep doing it. How many know it's going to lack its stickiness? And sexual sin is unlike every other sin. When you sin, sexual immorality, as Paul says in Corinthians, is a sin against your own body. Because everyone you sleep with, it's like there's an, you're leaving a part of yourself with that person. And then when you want, you know, you find the, the one that you really want to be with, you know, you can't give yourself totally to them because you've left yourself all over the place. Am I making sense today? That's why, you know, when it comes to sex, it's not just don't do it. It's so important that as believers, we have a theology of sex where we understand why. God has reserved this for the covenant of marriage. It's a covenant good, not a consumer good. And you know, when people come in and say, well, I'm, I'm giving my whole life, and then sex is a sacrament of that, it takes on a whole lot more meaning. In fact, studies would say, those who are of monogamous relationships have better sex. It's simply because they're, they're, it's more than just a physical act. You're connecting your heart. You're connecting everything. And the world, you know, says, oh, I'll just go out and try before you buy and do this and, and that. But, but it's leaving people empty and dissatisfied. And God's got a plan for us. And he wants us to enjoy healthy relationships. Yeah, God looked at man and said, it's not good that man be alone. He's designed it, but, but, but when, we, when we embrace the world's way of doing it, we're selling ourselves short of God's plan. Now, here's the deal. You know, if we have crossed borders and boundaries, the good news today is God forgives. And God can restore. But you, what you've got to understand is you've got to break some soul ties. You've got to... Come back, because bring yourself to that place where you allow God to purify you again. So that when you do find the right person, you can give yourself totally. Now, these are principles of marriage. Principles, just in two verses, the principle of priority, which is really important. Second principle is the principle of pursuit. Third is the principle of possession and Third one is the principle of purity. Uh, we want to unpack this a little bit more in the weeks coming up. You all right with that? How many are finding this helpful? Some of you are a little bit like, ah. Deer in headlights. It's like, it's all right. God's, God's got some great things. And you know, the reason why we're doing this, Steve said it well last week, is, man, we want to change the world. But in a world where there's a whole lot of dysfunction when it comes to relationship, the greatest way we can change the world is actually modeled by God's grace, something that's healthy and something that works. 
And our authority to change the world comes from the strength that we have in our home life. No person in this room has got it all together. Come on, just take that weight off. But as we lean and as we trust God, it's amazing what God can do. It's amazing how God can turn around the bleakest of situations. How he can turn them around. And how he can do what no person can do. How about everybody stand to your feet? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not God. And neither are you. Come on, let's not put God-type pressure on human relationships. Let's find what we need today in God. He can satisfy. And maybe right now there's a gap in your life. Come on, there's a desire inside each and every person that only God can fulfill. And God's designed it that way so we'd reach out to Him, so we'd know Him. Right now, if you're just saying, you know, I've got some things going on in my world relationally. You know, I've got some dreams and desires and, you know, I don't know how they're going to come about. But you want to make a decision today that you're going to trust God with what's going on in your world, that you're going to find something in God. I want you to lift your hands right across this place. Come on, just right across. Lift your, you're just saying, hey, I'm going to trust God. You've got things going on right now. I'm going to draw on my relationship with God knowing that He's going to bring answers, knowing that He's going to satisfy even the longing of my heart. And He's going to help me live this out. Come on, let's not be shy. We're not a shy church. How about lifting your hands high right now? Just come on, just, just, right, just as a sign, right across this place. Come on, those who trust in the Lord, the psalmist says, will never be put to shame. Will never be put to shame. You can confidently come into His presence this morning, knowing that He has what you need. Even right now where there's a storm, God wants to minister peace into that storm right now. Come on, where there's been hopelessness, He wants to bring hope. Come on, where there's been even hurt and a brokenness, He's the mender of broken hearts. He's the restorer of broken dreams. We thank you, Jesus, that you're in this place. We put our trust and we put our hope in you this morning. Lord, we say you're number one. Lord, and we go after you right now. Come on, would you just pursue God? Just say, come on, you've got to actively, aggressively, you know, energetically go after Him. Come on, let's energetically.